proud of who you are and not ashamed of how someone else sees you. Today I want to talk about body shaming and body dysmorphia and how collectively we all can change the narrative about the way we are perceived. Hello and welcome to my podcast, Unapologetically KK. My guest today is Dr. Tharaya Kanafani, who is the co-owner of Human Relations Institute and Clinic in Dubai, and who is a clinical psychologist by profession. Good morning, Dr. Tharaya, and welcome to Unapologetically KK. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about a topic that we all should be aware of, which is body dysmorphia. I guess I would say that I know a lot more about it after my research on the topic and I wasn't really aware of some of the dangers that uh, exist. And um, the idea really today is to be able to bring that to light to say that there are dangerous repercussions from being too obsessed with the way you look. Uh, and it's not just about being aware of how you want to look, but it's actually seeing flaws in yourself that may not exist. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about seeing flaws that don't exist, but um, it's about seeing flaws regardless whether or not they, they do or don't exist. So it could be, there could be a flaw, mm -hmm. but you could obsess over it quite significantly that it overtakes your life and it becomes something that you just can't um, stop thinking about. Right. The definition I have here for body dysmorphic disorder, which I didn't know that there was a specific disorder, uh, it's that it's a mental disorder which is characterized by the obsessive idea that some aspect of one's own body part or appearance is severely flawed and it warrants exceptional measures to hide or fix. Absolutely. So that is the the general definition of, of body dysmorphic disorder, um, because one of the things that is really important about that definition is the obsessive nature of it. And it's the perceived abnormality. So like I said, it could be a flaw. So sometimes people might have like a crooked nose, they might have a mole, they might have, you know, love handles, whatever it is, but they perceive it to be quite uh, catastrophic in comparison to what it actually is. And sometimes they might see something that's not actually there. But the most important part is that it's an obsessive um, pattern of thought. So it's continuous and it's consistent and they can't really stop thinking about it and doing everything possible to change whatever it is that they're obsessing about. So obviously this has got to have a lot of negative psychological impact on you. So it's not just that you're thinking about something that is flawed. You're thinking constantly of how to change it and it's causing a lot of stress, anxiety, depression. What really are the symptoms that one would observe in someone suffering for, from this? Well, you have to consider that first and foremost, it's the obsessive thoughts. So this is something that's constantly on their mind, but it's also something they might constantly bring up. Mm -hmm. So, um, for instance, let's just give an example of a mole on the face. So it becomes something like, uh, guys, do you see this mole or oh my God, my mole's getting bigger. I think it's getting bigger. And then every time there's a mirror, then they take a look at it. They examine it a little bit more. They visit doctors quite significantly. They do everything possible to cover it up, um, with makeup, things like that. They find cosmetic, um, procedures that could be available to them or, and if not, they try something else. So it's really about an obsessive pattern of not only thinking about it, but trying to do something to either get rid of it or to minimize it. 
Does that pattern change once they do get that change? So more often than not, not really. So sometimes when a person has body dysmorphia, what ends up happening is that they shift from one misperception of, mm-hmm. or flaw in their mind to a different one once that one's gone. So for instance, if somebody feels that there's a, you know, going back to the mole, um, a mole on their face, they get it removed. It could be now the scar that's on their face that makes the issue. Or uh, for instance, uh, if somebody feels that they're not thin enough or, you know, there's a part of their body they're not happy with, they get cosmetic surgery, they may not necessarily feel like it's changed or it's gotten better. So you ha- the, a very important part of body dysmorphia is how we feel about what is happening. So right. our body image is really defined in two different ways. There's that physical aspect to it, what we look like, but there's also the emotional aspect to it is what we feel about what we look like. Right. And some of the red flags I have here is that you, like you said, being extremely preoccupied by a perceived flaw in appearance that to others can't be seen or appears minor. And also a strong belief that you have a defect in your appearance that makes you ugly or deformed. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, they are seeing something in themselves. And you're saying that it's very difficult to change their perception of that. So what can be done to help somebody like that? Well, there are a lot of things. And actually, when it comes to body dysmorphia, you have to look at it from a bigger perspective, a larger perspective than just, okay, let's focus on the flaw itself. Because there's a lot of issues of self-confidence, self-esteem, self-worth that aren't necessarily there. And there's an identity crisis as well. Mm -hmm. So we don't really focus on the body dysmorphia itself in terms of focusing on the flaw and saying, well, no, look, it's not that bad or things like that. That's not really part of the therapy. It's more focusing on what are the other parts of your identity that are um, far more important than just this. And what's your self-esteem like? How do you, how, how confident are you, are you in yourself? Because usually what ends up happening is what we notice in psychology is when a person doesn't feel um, comfortable within their own self Mm -hmm. and by self, I don't mean body structure, but self as in self-worth, yes. then they tend to focus on and pick out the flaws in their in their physical structure because it's easier to focus on things that we can see mm-hmm. versus things that we can't. So there's an underlying problem, obviously, of self-worth. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. That is definitely one of them. So there's a lot of, of course, there are a lot of things that could have triggered something like this. So right. criticism from family members, consistent comparison between the individual and siblings or cousins or, or other people in the person's life. So family is actually shown to be one of the most significant uh, contributors to body dysmorphia, mm-hmm. as well as the social structure of our society and, and what we see is beautiful and not, uh, as well as things like self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth. Right. So taking on from that, let's let's talk about a body shaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a big part of our society. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a minor comment that they are making may have a major psychological impact on someone. And I guess if you hear that same thing over and over and over again, not just from your loved ones, but from, you know, from your extended circle, you start to believe that about yourself. And that can lead to something as extreme as a, a dysmorphic disorder. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think as humans, we are great judges. We believe that we can be judge, jury, and executioner no matter what it is that we do. So um, no matter what you look like, there's always body shaming. So mm-hmm. you could be super thin and people are shaming you for being thin and then you could be healthy and people are being like, oh my God, they're, they're, um, they're so obsessed with the way that they look. And then you could be overweight and it becomes an issue as well. So I think on some level, there will, body shaming will always exist in one way or another because there's a lot of insecurity within ourselves that mm-hmm. we tend to look outwards and point fingers. It's very easy for us to do that. Um, but definitely with body shaming by, you know, the, the societal sort of influence that we have in terms of what is the right body type. Mm or what is the right facial structure or things like that. Um, when those pressures and influences are out, we, we tend to set them as the prototype. Like this is what people should look like. And anything that fits out of that box, then all of a sudden becomes something that we get to, you know, on some level feel like we can talk negatively about. And what's interesting is that when you really look at the history of what we're supposed to, um, or what the media tells us we're supposed to look like. And when I say media, it's mostly Western media than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, we started actually a long time ago, mostly in the fifties and the forties with individuals that were more on the, on the curvy side. Right. And then we got into, um, Twiggy who was, I think in the seventies or the sixties and she was, um, like super thin, extreme. Yes. It was very, very thin. And she revolutionized, um, you know, body image and, uh, and people say in a negative way, I don't want to say in a negative way, but I want to say in a different way. Um, and, and what ended up happening is that she became the new norm. This is what people looked at this size zero. Mm. Um, and then from there we, we shifted into more, um, complicated and different types of bodies. So we have not only the super thin, which we started with, and that continued for quite a while, but then we got the curvy and that either had to do with the bust or the, or the, the rear end. Mm. And then we got into the super fit where you have to have the six pack and, and the, um, uh, the squat, uh, behind right. <laughs> or, yes. or then, or then you, the I mean, booty. exactly. And so, and so ultimately, you know, what's interesting is that the, these changes are so extreme from each other that if you are alive during all of these changes, your mm. body is going to go through some serious damage because of the ups and downs of following the trends. True. So I think when it comes to body shaming, what we're doing is that we're saying, depending on what is trendy today, Mm -hmm. this is what your body should look like. And unfortunately that doesn't work for a lot of people. And a good chunk of cultures don't actually follow that either. So a lot of different cultures around the world are following the Western, um, sort of mindset of what is the perfect They're body. They're defining exactly. what really you should look like. Absolutely. And a lot of cultures don't actually enjoy those body types. Like mm. you'll see many different cultures around the world. They may not necessarily like the completely fit or the booty or the bust or, you know, uh, the super thin. So, yeah. um, what ends up happening is that we're developed, we're sort of brainwashing ourselves to believe mm. that this is the body type that everybody should have. And even cultures that don't necessarily like acknowledge that body type, they tend to now sort of say, well, you know, this body type's not nice anymore because everybody says it's not nice anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. Because I have been a victim of body shaming, um, all my life. I think ever since I was a chubby teenager, I had, you know, I was told, yeah, you're so plump and you know, you're kind of overweight. And then I lost all of that weight. And then when I gained weight after my pregnancies, it was like, oh, you used to be a lot thinner before. And 
even as recently, now I'm 46 years old, I have two children who are, one's a teenager, one's almost a teenager. So, I mean, I don't need to be part of this conversation anymore. And I was at a wedding uh, last week in, in Mumbai and I had a random person who I have never seen before or I don't know, but who's from my community. I don't know who this person is. He walks past me and says, hi, how are you? I said, I'm great, thank you. And he says, you've lost so much weight. You used to be so fat before. And I looked at this person and I'm like, I literally was speechless. I, I, I did not know how to respond to a complete stranger feeling that he had the right to come in mm-hmm. and make those statements to me. Now, he is saying something the opposite of what I've heard a lot of the times to say, you know, you've put on weight or you've, you've, you look a lot bigger than you used to be. And now they're saying, oh, you're a lot smaller than you. And it's somehow supposed to be a compliment according to them. Right. And I had, strangely enough, I had a friend who was standing opposite me, who was not part of this, this, this conversation, but she obviously heard this gentleman. And she said, I can't believe he did that to you. I said, why? She said, because yesterday at at another event for the wedding he walked past me and said oh my god you've become so fat wow and i don't understand this anymore i do not understand how people feel that they have the right to come in and pass judgment and pass comments on you and and you know they got to it got to a point in my life i know where it did affect me psychologically where i just said i don't want to be part of this conversation you know because people tell you you've lost weight as a compliment mm-hmm. and you've gained weight as an insult to say oh i'm so sorry you've gained weight you used to be thinner before how is that any of your business and it's not just that but there's like the underlying stigma and that underlying stereotype that thin is beautiful. Exactly. And that's where a lot of the difficulties lies. And I know that that's very prominent in the Southeast Asian culture as well, that thin is beautiful. Or for instance, white, whiter, fairer skin is beautiful. I mean, there are fair, um, what is it? Fair and lovely, the whitening cream. (laughs) And it's just, it's so sad to me because, you know, I teach at the university here as well. And I I have a a large Southeast Asian community that that is in my class. And we discussed this quite significantly, how they feel there, there's a, there's a body shaming even amongst themselves if they're not fairer skinned, Mm -hmm. because we have now adopted this sort of mindset that white blonde hair, blue eyes or brown hair, blue eyes, um, very thin, tall. And by tall, I'm not talking about five, seven, five, eight, which was the average height for women anymore before. Now it's like five, 10, five, 11, mm. which is, it's massive for, exactly. for a female, um, but and now not that's the average, average height at all. So you're basically exactly. setting yourself up for failure from, you know, you are going to be Absolutely. dark-skinned because of, of where yes. you're from. If exactly. you're parents. And it's, it's funny because family members say that to you, like you're saying the most, and they know that they are not 5'10". Right. They are not fair. <laughs> they may not be thin. And where is this child going to get these genes from? Where are they going to get these traits from? And exactly, still, where? some of them don't even exist. I mean, to find that perfect woman with all of those qualities and no flaws, she doesn't exist. She's never existed. Even Barbie as a doll, they said if she was in like a real life human being, she'd be seven foot tall, mm. considering her dimensions. Mm. And so 
really we're, we're setting ourselves up with these unrealistic expectations. And so people are setting their judgments and their conversations with other people based on that. So you lost weight, you gained weight. Like who cares? Why is it, like you said, why is this any of your concern? If I'm in a good, healthy place, why does this matter to you? And we developed this also. How this, do you even notice that about somebody? Exactly. Like, why is this a conversation we are having in 2019? Why? Why? I, I, to be I honest, I don't, I don't really think this is a conversation we will never end up happening. I th- having, I think we will always have these conversations because there will always be a, that pressure of what we're supposed to look like. And unfortunately, what we're doing now is that we're talking about the political correctness of how we have these conversations, but we're not really addressing the issue. Yeah. So we're saying, don't say this, you know, you don't call somebody fat, you call them big boned or something. Plus size. It, plus size. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. It's still very offensive and it's still irrelevant because the first, fact that you notice it right to me that is the biggest well, problem like visually, when you are seeing me i'm more than my size of course and visually know. we will always see the differences that's fine for us to sort of say we don't see differences it's like um the political correctness of like i don't see color that's really wrong to say that because you're removing from individual differences of an individual so ultimately you can see the difference but that shouldn't be the focus yeah, so you can't comment. I mean, if someone has long hair and or short hair, you don't comment on it unless you like the haircut. Mm-hmm. So again, if you see a size in someone, it's not a flaw is what I'm saying that, yeah, you see them as they are, of course, but it doesn't mean that you can say to them or think it or feel that somehow they've let themselves go. Right. You know, it's this whole thing. What, what, what? upsets me is the fact that when people have come and told me that I've gained weight, it's almost like they feel sorry for me. Mm-hmm. You know, you were so thin and now you're it's not. It's like pity. It's like, yeah, oh my God, they for feel you. so sorry for me. Right. And, and when they say that, oh my God, you've really lost weight, it's somehow like I've got a gold medal at the Olympics. It's like, like supposed wow, to boost at your, your ego. age yeah. with two kids, you're still maintaining yourself. I mean, it's not a trophy. I mean, that's, that's I th- what I think is one of the most important parts is to recognize that it's not about whether or not I am a, of a certain size. It's about whether or not that's an important characteristic of mine. Hmm. And what ends up happening is that when people talk about each other's weights, we're discussing it as if it's a thing that's actually should be discussed. Like exactly. it's not important. Yeah. My weight and my body structure does not dictate who I am as an individual. And the more we discuss it as it's an important characteristic of who we are, the more hmm. likely are we continue to, to, Um, tie in and associate the stigma of this body type equals this kind of person. So Mm. this person is, is plus sized or fat or whatever words you want to use, then they must be lazy. And so then that, exactly. And so that association happens. We forget things like thyroid disorders. We forget things like PCOS for women, which is polycystic ovary syndrome. We forget all of these things that can contribute to weight gain and loss in unhealthy ways and we just negate them because mm. because we're it's too too much exercise for our brain to have. So we go for the quick things, which are fat equals lazy, yeah. fat equals unhealthy, right. and skinny equals healthy, which is extremely incorrect because there are a lot of people who are of the thinner body structure 
that are extremely unhealthy, that have vitamin deficiencies, mineral deficiencies. And we negate to see that because our perception of what is beautiful or what is the perfect body type is whatever the Western media tells us it is. Right. And this is, this is a huge problem. You know, what, what I want to talk to you about today is to say that it's not just the comment. It's not just the fact that we're still talking about it. This is becoming an alarming problem. Mm-hmm. And, and looking at the information that's out there about body dysmorphic disorder, it's extreme. It is, it is affecting your life. It is, it is causing you stress, depression, anxiety, and, and a lot of other physical problems that you can have as symptoms as part of the depression. So what, what really can be done? Like, how do you look for the signs for somebody suffering from something like that, where it's gone beyond just growing a thick skin and saying, I'm not going to let this affect me? So I think to, to just start off with the body dysmorphic disorder, by definition, it's, it's bringing disorder to your life. So there mm. is a dysfunction in one area of your life, which is either social, occupational or academic or, or familial um, area of your life. So there has to be a dysfunction somewhere in your life for it to be considered body, body dysmorphic disorder. Mm-hmm. So you could have body dysmorphic symptoms, but not the disorder if it's not bringing any kind of dysfunction. So I think that for a lot of people is where they're like, oh no, I don't have body dysmorphia because you know, everything in my life is great. And I say, mm. well, yes, but we don't have to get to disorder before we take care of something like this. Right. Um, so that's the first part. The second part to it is there are a lot of different things that we need to focus on when it comes to body dysmorphia. It's not, again, I'm not blaming um, Western media because I'm sure Southeast Asian, European, African, every, I mean, everybody's got their own stereotype of what the perfect body is. Mm. However, we are putting emphasis on something that doesn't require emphasis. So we're talking about weight where it shouldn't be even a discussion that we should have amongst each other in terms of who weighs what and what is healthy and what isn't. So um, I think one of the things that we need to start doing is also removing this as a criteria of a a characteristic or a quality of a person Mm. and focus more on the actual individual differences of each person. So things like, you know, kindness and loyalty and value system and just the things that are actually important. And, and the way to, to sort of look at how we can work through this is basically what I mentioned before, which is like focusing on self-esteem, self-worth, self-confidence, really allowing the person to define themselves beyond what they look like. Yes. So that would be the number one thing. However, I also believe that in order for us to to, to motivate that, mm-hmm. we have to be able to see it before it really yes, yes, happens. It's a change in perception. Exactly. And we have to be able to sort of recognize signs and symptoms before something like this happens. Exactly. And that could be an array of things. So obviously the symptomology is is sort of up and down, just like depression and anxiety and things like that. Mm. Um, obviously body dysmorphia doesn't cause generalized anxiety disorder or doesn't cause major depressive disorder or any other disorder, but they can be what we call comorbid, mm. which means that they can exist together. Right. Um, so again, it's not the rule, but it could happen. So when we talk about body dysmorphia, we have to consider what is the person doing? Is the person constantly checking their body or they con- or are they completely avoiding it? So it could be one or the other mm. from the side of constantly checking. It could be looking at mirrors, any kind of reflective surface. It doesn't have to just be a mirror. It could be your phone. It could be the table. It could be like the elevator walls. It could be absolutely anything. Mm. So trying to see whether or not there's that thing, that flaw is still there, trying to examine 
it and really doing a lot of research on how to get rid of it or how to minimize it or how to hide it, these kinds of things. So it becomes an obsessive, um, like, well, like we said, a preoccupation. It becomes something that they talk about quite significantly. That's on the side where they're trying their best to work through it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other side where they do their best to avoid it. Right. So something like they won't look at mirrors, they'll cover themselves either with loose clothing or they'll wear hats if it's something about their hair or if they'll put tons and tons of makeup on in order to like hide it if it's on their face. So, mm. but again, it's not, I'm not saying that those that wear makeup have body dysmorphia. No, I'm just saying no, that it has to be something obsessive and consistent. Unhealthy. Exactly. Yeah, when it gets above and beyond you just wanting to look good. Right. It, it has to be dysfunctional. It right. has to be something that really takes over your life, becomes obsessive and you are constantly preoccupied by it. Yeah. And even with all the validation in the world around you saying, no, this, what you're seeing isn't accurate. They're still seeing it as their own perception of the flaw. Yeah. Because you can't change what you see in the mirror. It's like, I guess a simple way just to think about it is that when you take a photograph and this is why I guess selfies have become such a big thing because you take your own image in the way you see yourself. And I'm as guilty of that as anyone else to say that when someone else takes my picture, I'm like, I don't look like that. That's not me, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just the way that it's somehow that your eyes are seeing something that someone else can't see. And you can't change that. You can't change what you see because that is like you're saying, it's a physical thing. You are looking at the facts. And then if you're telling yourself, no, I, I look great. You constantly kind of do my cheeks look that big? Mm-hmm. Do I have a double chin? You know, is my nose that small or that big? Are my eyes like that? And I just feel like you see that in yourself. And then you see when you see someone else doing it, and you look at the picture and you think, I don't see any of the things you're talking about. So how do you change the way you see things, which is such a basic sense that we all have. You know, you say basic and it's actually one of the most complicated senses that we have because our perception is exactly what messes with our minds more than anything else. Because our perception of our world is becomes our own reality. And again, trying to focus on something makes it worse, even if it's not that bad. So consider something like, um, I don't know why I keep going back to the mole, but like I can, I can come up with something else. Let's say a nose structure right? or your eye separation. How, how I've seen women do this actually, where they take a ruler and they measure, um, the distance between one, eye, the middle of one eye and the middle of the other eye to make sure that they are at the optimal level of separation of their eyes. Wow. And this is an, for some people that they're like, Oh my God, that's, that's ridiculous. Well, it's not because for some of these women, this percentage leads to a lot of other fears that may exist as well. Mm. Things like if I'm not beautiful enough, people won't love me. People might leave me. I won't be good enough for, to find a, a husband. I'll be lonely my whole life or whatever it is. And this is not just something that happens with women. It also happens with men. Right. So there, there are a lot of different aspects of our perception of, of reality that, that really makes our life very difficult. And one of the things that I work on is not, is, is basically removing the focus on the thing that scares us the most. Right. Because when we allow our 
um, focused to be on the thing that we're scared of the most, we tend to think of it even more. All and our brain time. does that. It's yeah. really mean that it way, to be honest. That, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You, you notice that everywhere around you. It's like exactly. you think of a white car and that's all you'll see on the road when you're driving. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I give this example to my clients all the time and even to my students. I tell them, look, if I tell you don't think of the pink elephant, the first thing that you're going to think of is the pink elephant. And absolutely. the more I say pink elephant, the bigger this pink elephant gets in your mind. And that's the idea. So the more we focus on something, the more likely we are to magnify its intensity in our, in our, um, in our realm of reality. Mm. So when we, we take away its control Mm. and its power from us, it's, it becomes something that is not only liberating, but it shows us that we, we are more than just whatever it was that we're focusing on. Right. And you said, uh, that it's, it's also affects men and this is not just women who are obsessed or who can be going through something like that. There are men now who talk, you know, who talk about looking a certain way with the abs and, you know, having a certain kind of body shape, mm -hmm. which if you don't, they obsess about that, about, and then I think with them, are they more able to handle it better than women? Is it no. more with women? Or is <laughs> no. it I wouldn't say that men have a better ability to handle body dysmorphia than women. They just handle it differently. Right. So for women, they may obsess and do more the cosmetic surgery and the, the makeup and things like that. But men don't have the, those opportunities to put makeup on their faces or their bodies as often as women would. Right. So they don't, they have old, alternate means of adjusting. So there are, yes, there are, um, cos there is a cosmetic surgery for inserting abs. Mm. Um, yes. Things like that, creating saw, triceps and biceps and yeah, things like that. Yeah, there was a surgeon on Instagram who actually had a video of while he was doing the surgery. Right, right. I mean, this exists. And for a lot of people, they're like, no, that's ridiculous. Of course it doesn't. No, it does. It and does. it's And it's... Um, it's quite rampant for a lot of men because now, like I said, for women, it's one thing. But for men now, the perfect body type is this, like, washboard abs, big eight arms, pack. eight pack. I mean, I didn't even know there were eight at exactly. one point. And then there were, you know, the, the surgeon was actually showing by counting. By counting. He was, the, the I think there was, were 12 or something. I have no he idea. Was, the guy was passed out on the, on the operating table while the surgeon has got a camera in his hand while he's talking about it. And he's actually counting the abs and showing that this is what you can get. I, I just found that so highly unprofessional. And I can just imagine how young people you know, think there's an easier way to get there. Absolutely. And, uh, and we forget that their age makes a big difference. I mean, when you're younger, you're, you know, you're more agile, you're more, um, just, you're, you're really more likely to develop this kind of body style quicker mm -hmm. than if you are in your forties, in your fifties, in your sixties. This is not to say you can't do it. Of course you can, but it's just, it's different. Your body structure looks a bit different as well, because as you get older, your hormones change. There's a lot of things that happen as you get older. Yes. However, um, for men, they have this sort of, um, pressure to look like the Hulk yeah. <laughs> or, or even like, um, Thor. Thor or the guy all from the Aquaman that they have now. Yes. Absolutely. So all of them need to have this body style. And this is not to say that, you know, they're the only ones that have this pressure, but I believe this pressure on men is also just as horrendous as it is for the pressure on women to look a certain way. Right. And there are a lot of men that sort of fight that right where they're where they say we don't really care a lot of celebrities do that as well there's a new model from from the female side that um ashley graham that yes that has you know plus but, size but yeah. even there you know i feel like 
what she's doing is phenomenal and it takes not just courage, but so much beautiful confidence. But also to add to that is that she has the face that a lot of people are looking for as well. And so there's, um, it's almost like some people will accept her her plus size because she has that face. And I think, and I've heard some people say that, and I'm just like, this is horrible. This is horrible that even a woman who is battling some of the worst um, stigmas and stereotypes we have, we're still trying to find the reason why people are okay to accept that. Her size. Her size. Yes. Yeah, like it's yeah. something so that's it's still so a bad wrong. Thing, but, yeah. It's but still we a bad can thing. accept it because exactly. she's she has a pretty face. So it's okay that we accept her plus. Like wh- that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But a lot of people feel that way and they just yeah. don't say it out loud, which is, her, which is horrible. I mean, thankfully when you're in a, in a therapy session, you hear a lot of things that you know, um, yeah. people don't necessarily want to say out louder when you talk to people that, um, think that it's safe for you, for them to, to talk to you in a way that they're really opening up all of their, their nastiness towards the world. You really see the, that they're the PC-ness that we're trying to work with that political correctness yeah. is very surface leveled. Yes. And you can see that in yes. the media as well. It's not yes. something just a psychologist would see, yeah. but you know, you can see how, how things go around the world where the people will say something, but do something completely different. And I think that's the problem with political correctness. It's not changing the way you think. Right. It's just saying that you can't say these things anymore. Exactly. And I think that's, that's the big issue that people like, for instance, I'm, I'm an icon like, like Ashley Graham for what she's doing, we're still focusing on yeah, but she's pretty. That's why we're letting it go. No, that's not why we're letting it go. And and we're not even letting anything go. I mean, ultimately she has the right to whatever she wants to do with her life and whatever she looks like, that's her problem, her business, her issue, her whatever, or her happiness. That's nothing for anybody else to talk about. And it's the same for men. As soon as, you know, you'll see it for a lot of celebrities as well. Like as soon as they say they let go of their perfect body, Mm. you'll see the tabloids come out and they'll trash them. Like what happened? Into his body and what, pictures exactly and shame them that that that's body shaming exactly and that's that's the problem here the problem is is that we've allowed ourselves to discuss a, a body type as if it's our right to do so exactly and and people love seeing that because I, I was talking to somebody yesterday uh, a health psychologist and and I was saying you know what misery loves company if you're feeling really miserable about yourself and you have someone who's kind of doing extremely well and you know is really happy you're like go drown yourself somewhere I want to see someone you know who's as miserable as me and and I guess the reason why people uh, consume these these images of stars, A-list stars, you know, gaining weight and and being in un- uh, take their photographs being taken in unflattering ways because they feel good about themselves. They say, "Well, it's just not me." You know, they did it for a role because they have all of these trainers and they have all of that, which as a common man I don't have, and so when you stop, this is what happens. So it's okay. And so you feel good about yourself in a way when you see someone else failing at something that you failed at as well. And I think that 
as consumers, like it's it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? Because we're saying that the media is feeding us and the people uh, are saying that we're you want this and that's why we're giving you what you want, mm-hmm. you know, as the public. So if the public stops wanting something, we won't be able to give it to you. And there was an article that I was reading recently saying that one of the A-list actresses actually said that when she was doing a movie, uh, the producer told her that if you weigh more than 120 pounds or 110 pounds, uh, it will hurt people's eyes to watch you on screen. Mm. That was her actual quote. And I, I, I was like, they are going through so much. She said there are personal trainers on the set. And this was such a shocking article because she was saying that there are producers who call them and ask them if they've been in the gym, how many hours, what they've eaten that day, because... There's a lot of money at stake and they have to be a certain size. Right. And that that happens not just with actors and actresses, by the way, that happens with a lot of different um, jobs. So flight attendants, um, they they have the same uh, sort of pressure. There are a lot of different companies around the world that expect their women and men to look a certain way. And if they weigh more or less than and they look bad in their perspective, they fire them. True. Or they put them on probation until they regain the, the look that they want. So, again, it goes back to this idea that why is this even a topic we're discussing? Exactly. But here's the thing. Can I honestly re- and realistically say that we're never going to talk about weight? No, that's no. not ever going to happen. Am I, gonna, no, am I saying that we're like body lifetime. shaming will never happen? Uh, of course it will. But ultimately, I think we have to... and. And I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand and say, I've made that mistake as well. Yes. Sometimes I make those mistakes and I look at somebody and I see their, a, a specific body type and I will judge it. And even as a psychologist where, you know, I'm, I know better in that yeah. sense, it can happen because we're human yes. and we make mistakes. And sometimes we have those flawed moments where we think in a way that is very judgmental. However, we reflect, the more we reflect on the, the way that we think, I agree. The more we are self-aware of what we're saying and what we're saying to ourselves. And how it's impacting someone. Exactly. That's when these things, they minimize at least. Will they ever disappear? I don't ever believe they will. But will they minimize significantly? I think so, yes. Because when we become more reflective and more self-aware, we stop making it something that's important. Exactly. I mean, like you're saying, it's never going to go away. But the point is it's reached alarming levels now because of how connected we are electronically and how easy it is for us to look at images of other people that we perceive as having, you know, a better life than we have because they're more beautiful. And then so success is somehow attached to looking a certain way. And and that narrative has is, I guess, changing, but it's slow. And, and those conversations need to change to say that there are more people out there because, I mean, after reading this article about Hollywood and what they do to their, their A-list actors, um, even the person who is looking perfect on screen is not perfect in real life. They are having to go through a lot of unhealthy procedures uh, even if it's not plastic surgery, but, you know, they, they, they put on these crazy diets for a short amount of time. They, they have crazy workout regimens, you know, for, for about three to four months before the movie. Um, so it's not possible for everyone to do that. And, and so more people realize that and the more stories that are out there to say, 
I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. You know, where does that start? Will will the conversation start with the people? Because they start to realize, will the conversation start with the ones who are probably part of the problem, who are causing these problems to say, you know, I'm not better than you just because I have six pack abs or just because I look beautiful according to the media or according to the world. I'm just like you. Right. And I, and you know, I think when we talk about individuals that are judging others, Mm. I have to um, recognize that research will show us that those people that focus on certain kinds of things like this, where it becomes their life, Mm. what they look like and judging themselves according to, um, or comparing themselves to others and then judging others because they either look better or worse. Um, they have, they harbor a lot of insecurities. Yes. And again, going back to this idea that we're still defining a person, we're associating, um, the quality or the character of a person based on what they look like, which is, which is something that ultimately we talk about when we, when we consider the idea of racism, So when we say racism, we're saying that we're judging a person by the color of their skin or where they come from. Well, this is the exact same thing. Sizeism. Exactly. This is the exact same thing. We're judging a person's character and their worth based on what they look like, which is, I mean, it's just crazy in today's day and age. I mean, I don't use that word, but yes, (laughs) but yes, absolutely. Unhealthy. Extremely. Unhealthy, unwarranted and, and, you know. It, it doesn't help in any way, shape or form to have those opinions on, you know, on someone's size and to not be aware of how it might affect that person. Mm-hmm. I just think, you know, to be that unaware going through life, there's this gentleman that I was talking to you about who, who made that comment on me. He's he must be in his 50s. He's not a young child who just kind of said something and didn't know what he was saying. You know, the people who are saying these things to you, whether it's your family members, they're not people who haven't been through life and they don't understand the impact of what they're saying. They just don't think that it should have an impact at all. But here's what we're saying. It has an impact. Mm-hmm. It does. And it's, it's, it's really putting people in a place where it's taking away their quality of life. And so what can we do to change this narrative? Well, you know, like we mentioned uh, a few times in terms of becoming aware, becoming aware of, of the way that you're thinking and why you're thinking the way you do. So if you look at somebody and, and you're considering their body weight and you're judging them based on that, try to think to yourself, like, why is this important to me right now? Like, why am I even discussing this? Why is this something that I'm looking at? And what, what is it about myself that I'm feeling insecure about in this moment that I feel the need that I can actually do what I just thought of or do or think of what I just thought of. Right. Um, so becoming more self-aware is very important as to where those thoughts from us come from, as well as, you know, if you know somebody or if you yourself suffer with body dysmorphia or any kind of body discomfort, mm-hmm. um, any kind of image difficulties that you're having, try to consider that you are more than just your what you look like. You are way beyond that. I love that. You're more than what you look like. Right. Thank you so much, Dr. Tharai. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and I hope we can get this conversation going even further the next time we meet. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Kanchan Kulkarni saying goodbye for now and speak to you again soon.